0: What's going on,
1: guys, and welcome back to another episode of the Bear Performance Podcast. I am your host, Nick Bear, owner of Bear Performance Nutrition, and today we have a guest that is coming back to the show, spends most of his time in the back of the warehouse, operations manager, aka P-Bear, aka Krusty, aka Preston Bear.
0: Hey, it's good to be back. Um... Krusty's probably not the coolest nickname, but I guess I just have come to accept it.
1: Let's actually talk about real quick how I I personally forget the story about how that nickname. Because whenever came alive. I would go
0: through the pizza rev line, they ask you your name, and I don't know if it's the way I talk that people can't understand whenever I say Preston. Um, but I now whenever I say it, it's like I'm talking to like a deaf person. So I say they ask you what your name is, and I say Preston. So you tell me when I used yeah. to just say Preston, like real quick and stuff, they used to say crust. The one time they were like, Cruston. Or yeah, they used <laughs> to always thought that I would say Cruston. So they thought my name was Cruston.
1: So Pizza Rev, which is almost like a blaze pizza or mod pizza. They make like a personal Chipotle style, you know, pizza for you. Um, they nicknamed Preston Cruston, which turned into Krusty by Chase Tuning. And then it just stuck.
0: I'd rather be Cruston.
1: The crust. We have you the crust. We have the crust on the show today. And uh, in today's episode, we are talking the topic and title, how growing 750, that is 750%, in one year almost destroyed us. So we're going to talk about like how growing so fast in one year was probably the scariest year for us, the most intimidating And it was like, we're just constantly felt like we were trying to catch up and how it ultimately almost destroyed us, uh, like physically and mentally, personally, but the brand, like how it almost was detrimental to the brand. So we're going to take this back to 2016. So I'm going to have Preston kick it off. 2016 was our first year when we hit six figures. 2017 is when we hit our first seven figures, and that's revenue with BPN, and we grew 750% in that time period from 16 to 17, and we're going to talk about you know, what 2016 looked like and then what 2017 looked like and how we grew so much within that time period and how it almost wrecked us. So, Preston, tell me where you were in 2016 with the brand. Back in Pennsylvania, what it was like like from a order fulfillment process, from a, a logistics process, like what the company looked like from your eyes.
0: Uh, so beginning in 2016, January was the first year or the first month that we saw some like growth of sales. So I remember the exact number too, it was like $3,600 in January 2016, which is like the first month we were like, holy crap, like that many sales and stuff. We've never seen like anything like that. And, uh, I was at college actually. And my dad was home at home working and then fulfilling the orders for BPN and everything like that. So I remember when it started growing, you know, January, February, March, April, there'd be days where like you, he would do like good sales, obviously, maybe you ran a deal or something that day and there was 30 orders to fulfill. He had to take like half days from work just to fulfill the orders. Um, while I was away at college.
1: To give some perspective on that, I was in South Korea at the time. I was in the army and this was after I was stationed at Fort Hood, Texas. The brand BPN is still in Pennsylvania and Preston and my dad were fulfilling and shipping orders, which volume was so low. Like how many orders do you think we were getting a day on a regular basis?
0: Uh, January. I mean it was still probably like six or seven, but then Maybe when I got out of college around April, I think it was in like the low 20s, maybe low 20 numbers a day, maybe high teens, actually, because what happened then was at, toward the end of that summer in 2016, exactly three years ago now, uh, August 1st, I even think it was, was when I moved the company down here to, uh, to Temple, Texas, we were probably doing about 20 to 25 orders a day. Um, So that's really what happened was January 2016. It started growing. I was away at college, senior year of college, getting ready to graduate. Orders started picking up. My dad was picking up the slack. Um, And then when I got home from college, I took over the orders while I was working a full-time job. And then I only worked that full-time job for two months before I left to go down to Texas, moved the whole company down in a U-Haul with my mom. And it's been just straightforward ever since. just...
1: To put in perspective how small BPN was in 2016, when we're getting a few orders a day, explain to me the process of what our fulfillment stations looked like, if you want to even call it that, where we fulfilled orders at our parents' house, and then when you moved the company, how much inventory we actually had and where you moved it to.
0: Yeah, so the way we fulfilled it at our house, which we kept the inventory at our house for like four years is we kept it all in a room called the bonus room, which was the bedroom above the garage at our house. It was actually a bigger kind of bedroom. It was was roomy enough and everything. You could even have tape, like packing tables. There's like one packing table, a laptop, and then the printer we used to print off labels or paper labels was all the way in the basement. So order would come in. My dad had this set up, he would go online print the label, go to the basement, pick up the paper, the paper label, bring it back upstairs, cut it with some scissors, and then tape it on the box, and then there you have it. He would usually drop it off in the post office, or I would drop them off at the post office in the morning. Um, How long would you say it would take to to do six orders is like an hour. So you would like print them all upstairs if there were six orders in the hole, and then go down and pick up the piece of the paper, bring them back upstairs cut them out, tape them on the boxes. And that's how we kind of did it. It was like, I mean, I guess we didn't need a label printer or anything at the time because there wasn't that much volume volume, and we never experienced a lot of volume. Um, so then when we, before I left to go to Temple, Texas, I was kind of worried because I was moving the inventory and was going to okay, take two or three days to get there. And I was worried orders were going to really pile up and everything because we never saw anything like this, like 20 orders a day. That's crazy. That would have been a really good day if it was 20 orders a day. Like I said, it might have been like 12 or 13. Um, But when I got there then, we moved everything, not even just a U-Haul. It was one of those U-Haul vans, which is like the smallest U-Haul you can get. It was just a big van. So everything fit in there, shakers, product, everything. And we moved it down, Temple, Texas, to Nick's small house, which was like 1,400 square feet. Put everything in... It was like the room when you first walk in the house, which the window, you can see out the front porch and everything. So we kept everything in there, um, and it fit, and it was a tiny room. That just puts it into perspective, too, that this bedroom was like like half of what you would think a, be- a regular bedroom is.
1: I would say it was probably nine feet by nine feet.
0: Yeah, super small, and everything fit in there, which is what's crazy. Like, I remember lining up all the, the inventory, the endo... Uh, th- we brought endo pump in when I was there, so we didn't have endo pump yet, but the flight, I think there were two flavors of flight, creatine, shakers, probably intraflight, intraflight. Yeah, so we had all those. Um, had all of our post office boxes in it and there and everything then too. So the routine when I got down there was you know package orders in the morning, drop them off at the post office and then I pretty much just filmed YouTube videos the rest of the day until Nick got back from Korea. So now going so Preston after graduating
1: from college had a a full time job. What was your job position where you were? The
0: job was purchasing. So purchasing manager for the company I worked for sold restaurant equipment supplies. Um and they killed it and it was a really good job and everything. Like I probably had one of the better jobs out of any of my friends right out of college. I never would have even thought I would have gotten anything like that. Like I never even had enough confidence to think that I was really going to get something that good, but I always had good internships with that company. So I kind of built up my experience through that, which was awesome. So it was great experience doing that work, taking it into BPN then.
1: So then from working in traditional nine to five shortly after graduating college to moving to Texas and then having a lot of flexibility in time, what was that like? Like what did it was that feel the,
0: like? The best time of my life. I would say that was like the funnest time of my life. Like something cause I'm in something new. I've never lived anywhere else. It was a great area, central Texas. I would still live in that area, the Belton temple, Texas area.
1: That's where I bought my first house when I moved to Texas and I was stationed I, at Fort hood. It was, I, it's
0: beautiful. I always talk it up though. Cause it's like you can get a house there for $120,000 brand new and it's super low cost of living. It's just a good area, good people, a lot of good gyms around there. Um, Good food, good barbecue and everything. Still, like around here where we are now, there's obviously more infrastructure, more restaurants and everything, but I would probably rather be back in that area still. But it was just so much fun coming down here and it's brand new. I'm just watching Nick's house. so I got a place to stay. I wasn't really worried about money at the time because I saved some money and I was really just focused on YouTube and then just helping out with the business and everything. And it was just, it was one of those things that was just a ton of fun. President actually moved down to
1: Texas, and I told him in the beginning, "Hey, man, I can't pay you yet because the business isn't making enough money." Like I wasn't even, you know, taking, yeah, no one
0: was paying. Each other no, we weren't.
1: We weren't taking any money. I think it was the first, the first time we started paying ourselves was like four and a half, maybe five years into having the brand. So you know, imagine that you you start this business and. Most of the time when you start a business, your thought process is, well, I'm going to make some money. Well, it was four and a half to five years after launching BPN that we finally started taking some money personally for ourselves. And this is when we had this massive growth of 750% because, obviously, we had to live. I was transitioning out of the military, so my source of revenue wasn't there anymore. Preston left his job to pursue BPN, so he wasn't making money anymore. So we started taking... A little bit of money, um, here and there, to start, you know, paying for some bills and going out to eat and paying for cars and whatnot. Um, I was making some money off of YouTube at the time, some sponsorships, so that that brought in some revenue as well. Um, but I think it's just a, a, a strong thing to note: four and a half to five years. I don't know. I don't have a specific number in front of me of not paying ourselves or taking any money while trying to build and scale this brand.
0: So I, I can't imagine like starting a business, like a restaurant and stuff now, like it's got to be so stressful because you got to bring on all the employees right away and you want sales to happen right when you open and everything. And that's probably the most stressful time is those first couple months. Um,
1: the case of supply and demand. Yeah. When I first started my company, um, I had the supply, obviously I had the inventory, but there was zero demand and I thought it was going to be the completely opposite way around. I thought, well, if I had some plan if I had supply and demand, if I had supply, that would equal demand. And guess what? It doesn't work that way. You have to create demand through marketing and brand awareness. So what
0: you've done since then.
1: And that that was our main focus. And we learned that the hard way is, you know, originally we brought in all the supply, we launched zero sales. So then it was okay. How do we create demand from something that does not exist anywhere? So that is kind of the position we were in. In mid-2016, I guess, Preston's down in Texas. I'm returning home from South Korea. And how did we grow 750% in one year, which is massive growth, and how that almost destroyed us. So to put it into some context, when we weren't paying ourselves, and we didn't have a warehouse, and everything was out of our, you know, my house at the time, we had very low overhead. Our only overhead really was purchasing inventory, cost of goods, and packaging materials. So, for you know, in order for us to um, buy inventory and then sell it, and because we were selling it so slow, we could repurchase inventory and really not miss out on any sales. Because you know, we weren't doing these massive sales. Uh, We weren't. We were never really in the red. Like we weren't making much money, but. You know, we could keep the amount of money that was in the bank account, which wasn't much, pretty consistent. But when we really grew is where we started really like learning the issues of cash flow and how important it is. So, like what made us grow 750%? It was not one specific thing that you can put your finger on and say, that's what did it. But there were multiple things that compounded for the five years leading up to that point that finally just started to click. So, I mean, we were doing social media uh, branding from 2014 to 2017 at that point. The first two years of the business, we didn't have any social media presence. I wasn't doing YouTube. Uh, we, you know, Instagram was just getting started. We were using Facebook a little bit, but we were just still learning how to incorporate these social media platforms into a business. But we started finally, you know, in 2014, Building a YouTube channel and Instagram platforms, and using Facebook, um, and I'd say the biggest thing we really focused on was the consumer and the customer, and that's what really helped us grow. Like we were super transparent with everything, from formulating products to our marketing strategies uh, to taking care of the customers.
0: To just always providing good customer service.
1: Yeah, great customer service. We still yeah. pride what, ourselves yeah, in. We
0: always. To this day, the biggest thing is, I mean, not the biggest thing, but just consistent customer service and quick shipping. And, you know, it's the same thing that Amazon says, too. I mean, you want, what does a customer want? They want a good customer experience, good customer service, and quick shipping.
1: So it was, um, it was all these things compounding up to this one point. And we were seeing slow growth over the time. But the first three years in business, we did 20000 each year in revenue, roughly. But I remember sitting in my small room in South Korea writing handwritten thank you notes to everyone that placed an order. Or sometimes we would do things where, hey, if you place an order today, we will call you and personally thank you. It was th- those things where you know, the ROI, the return on that investment was, was high, and we were retaining the customers, but it, it took a lot, a lot of work. Mm-hmm. And between 2016 and 2017, we also rebranded BPN. So we relaunched a new website on Shopify – we did new logos for BPN, new labels, uh, completely new branding. I mean, how many, how many rounds of labels have we gone through until we finally found where we're at right now, something we're, we're happy with?
0: Yeah, I think like six or seven rounds of labels. Six or so, seven, like different labels, yeah.
1: completely different. Don't even look similar.
0: Like, Flight alone went through like five or six. I mean, because that's been the flagship product, the one since the beginning. I love showing people like the evolution of flight because it's been through so many different container sizes and labels and colors and flavors. It's uh, it's just ba- ba- really been a process.
1: So the rebrand helped out a lot, and the YouTube channel was growing a lot as well. So when I was in South Korea, you know, I got there with about thirty thousand YouTube subscribers, which is small, and I had a few videos that really took off, went viral. So within like a a three-month period, I went from like thirty thousand to eighty thousand subscribers. I had one video; it was titled "The Day in the Life of an Infantry Platoon Leader." It hit like a million views in like three weeks, and um, that like that just grew the channel so fast; it was crazy. So by the time I left South Korea, the YouTube channel was at a hundred thousand, and people were following the journey and the process and the story. I mean, we were sharing everything from building the brand, to formulation, to testing new products, to packaging. Like, we we're, we're, were documenting mm-hmm. every part of it. And then when I returned back to the States, we moved into our new warehouse, um, and that was a completely different beast on its own, because you gotta, you gotta think, like, we start making more money, but as we're making more money, we have more overhead.
0: Yeah, a lot more overhead. Big expense coming into this the whole picture, which we never had a warehouse. So we have
1: rent and lease and utilities, um, which was a massive risk that we took.
0: Yeah, and we it worked out pretty good because the supplements grew at the right time to where we needed it to. Because when we opened the gym, the gym—I mean, the gym was cool and everything to have, and that's what we wanted to focus on. But it wasn't what it would have worked out in the long term um, as far as like our financial goals and everything like that.
1: Because originally, we, we leased a warehouse with the intent of, okay, well, we're going to ship out of our supplements out of this warehouse because we need more space, but we'll cover some of the rent with a gym open to the public. So that was like our mindset in the beginning. We could cover overhead that, you know, the supplements at the time weren't making enough with an open gym, but like, I think it was three months after we opened the gym to the public, the supplements were growing so fast, we had, we were forced to close the gym. Yeah. Cause we needed space.
0: Yeah. And that, that was one of the best, like greatest things for us just because the gym, you know, you're waking up at four 30 to open it at five and then you got to close it at 10. Uh, so you're kind of tying up all your time just at the gym, just to make sure somebody's there. Um, and you couldn't really do like the whole 24 hour access thing because then you have all this money, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars of money and inventory sitting at the warehouse so you can never be too safe and stuff. Uh, so we just had to pick one or the other. Did we want the gym or did we want the supplements? And we obviously chose the supplements.
1: And closing the gym has probably, to this day, been one of our best decisions we've ever made. Oh, yeah. Facilitated growth. It allowed us to focus more on the brand that has the opportunity to scale. Because you can only scale a gym, a smaller gym, to, to so much.
0: Yeah. You like build- really can't
1: scale it. The ability to scale, is it's capped at, at a certain amount.
0: The thing about a gym is like you can only get so much revenue per square foot feet in that like leasable space compared to other businesses and stuff. It's just not something that's going to be very lucrative as a gym, even in the boxes and places that kill it, you know, like these orange theories and stuff. It's still not probably killing it as much as other businesses and stuff. Maybe but, from a corporate
1: perspective, but not like an individual
0: space. Yeah. So a gym's a gym's always a nice idea and something cool to have and stuff. Would you ever open a gym again? No, no. Would you?
1: I would never open a gym again. Um, the only reason it would ever make sense if, say, we, we you know built a massive warehouse and we had extra space. If you own the building, you own the building, and or to cover some of your overhead, or if
0: you're in a real cheap area for rent, because you want your rent to be as low as possible, basically. Um, Plus, think about the cost of the equipment alone. I mean, if you really want to fill that up, that could be million dollars worth of just equipment. So, and you can
1: get put out a business very, very fast. Yeah. So that's kind of our little tangent on gyms, but we're we're not massive fans of opening gyms anymore, and we'll talk about this topic forever with anyone. Um,
0: Especially what I'm seeing lately. I mean, I don't want to go off. Topic, but like all the places around here, like Gold's and everyone else that's coming in, there's so many corporate gyms coming around here. They'll partner with businesses around here, and people of those that are with those businesses are basically paying like five bucks a month to go there. So it's like everyone's just undercutting everyone in price right now. It's still the $10 gym model is like everywhere. It's just you don't want to go into business where the price just keeps going lower and lower,
1: right? Well, let's talk about how this massive growth of 750% in a year period almost destroyed us. Okay. So, we'll kick it off this way. Let's talk this the we'll talk first about cash flow and then we'll talk about the sale model that we see a lot of businesses do. Mm-hmm.
0: The sale model we can talk st- start
1: out with. Okay, so we'll talk about the, the we'll let's talk cash flow because that'll no, kind of tie into yeah. the sale model. So, as you grow as a business, cash flow is super important. Cash flow is the movement of money coming in and out. So movement coming in is revenue, sources of revenue, money going out is expenses, overhead, payroll, uh, warehouse leases, cost of goods, goods sold, stuff like that. So because we grew so fast and we're a self-funded company and I started BPN with a $20,000 loan from a bank which just paid for inventory. I didn't know anything about business then, so I figured, hey, all well, I gotta pay for is inventory. There's nothing else I need. Looking back, I probably needed a couple hundred thousand to do this right. So what happens is, you know, you're doing well, and then all of a sudden you grow really fast. Well, if, if I'm not projecting that growth, I'll have inventory control problems. So here's like a simple math equation. I, I, I would, we would buy supplements, we'd buy inventory, And we have 12-week lead times. So at the time, we didn't have terms. So we had to pay for all of our inventory up front before we even got it. So we'd spend all of our money on this inventory. And then we would sell out of all of it. And we'd make that money. But we'd have to put all of that money back in, all of the money back in to produce supplements again. But more in higher quantities to kind of like – assess that growth and project that growth. So we're out of inventory for weeks or months at a time where we're not making the money, but that money is already tied up in inventory that's being produced.
0: And we didn't have enough money to buy the amount that we actually needed so that we wouldn't run out of right away. Yeah, so it did. was like a process that just kept happening over and over again. Where so we would bring the inventory in, it would sell out within a couple of days. Then we'd be waiting again because we weren't able to buy the amount of inventory last time that we needed because we didn't have the cash for it.
1: Yep. And so that was like the hardest. That was the most stressful time. That was that was at least a year of you know, constantly wondering: Am I able to pay my bills? Are we going to be able to cover rent? Can we pay the like the small team, the employees we have? Like, how do we get out of this? And we didn't want to take out another loan. We didn't want to bring on an investor. We wanted to kind of get out of this ditch on our own. And that was the hardest part is you now when you're, when you're self-funded and you, you don't have like any outside money or a lot of outside money to start, you're going to hit that cash flow problem as you start to grow. And we managed it as well as we could. Like we had a very lean team. Um, we, we operated like leaner than anyone I know probably.
0: Yeah. We didn't have many employees or anything like that. And, I think we also did a good job at not rushing to bring in tons of employees either. Um, you know, when some people, I'm sure companies start to see growth and everything, or if they have a big sale, they will go right away and be like, all right, I got to hire all these people. And then the thing is, it might level out again. You probably don't, one thing you don't want to do is have too many employees. You know, when you're small, small business, you can have one person doing multiple different functions and stuff. You don't have to have them just one person do purchasing, one purchasing person doing customer service. It's like when you're smaller and growing you can kind of spread out and do work in other areas. Your and team uh, has you're to like be like
1: utility where you we were utility players. Yeah, your your team has to be a Swiss Army pocket knife. Yeah. Each person on that team has the ability to to wear different hats and sit in different roles to keep that that business moving forward. But that was the most stressful time honestly of my life where I'd sit up in, at night In my bed thinking man like next month are we going to be a business like are we going to be able to pay our bills even though we are growing more people one of our product well cash flow was an issue inventory was an issue and when you run out of inventory you lose customers because they're like well i'll go somewhere else to get it
0: yeah there's plenty of other companies out there that they'll go
1: so that was probably the most stressful time running bpn and it's funny because like you know it was the biggest growth ever but it happened so fast that we weren't prepared for it. Um, looking back, there were there were obviously ways that we could have mitigated that risk, or we could have addressed that situation differently. But we were young, we weren't experienced with business, we were just getting our feet wet, and to grow like that so fast, and not knowing how to handle it, it's a really difficult situation. Yeah. So that's what almost destroyed us, like on an individual level and a business level. It almost destroyed us that we we grew so fast. And learning how to scale your business appropriately and have a plan for that is super important. Because in order to scale a product-based business, you need cash. You need cash to purchase inventory or really good terms, which we have now. Now that we understand the cash flow model of scaling a business, let's talk about sales. And how some businesses use sales to kind of cover cash flow but limit their profits. So what does that mean to you so we see it all the time Because
0: you'll see constantly the same companies running the same sales like week in and week out you know flash 20 flash 30 flash 50 you'll even see some companies out there now doing bogos which if you're doing a bogo on a regular monday afternoon for no reason usually that's gonna mean the company's in trouble and needs money fast because they have a bunch of invoices upcoming and or maybe their payroll is coming up and they don't know if they're going to have enough money to, to pay for it because there's no reason you're going to bring in all this inventory in, um, do all this work to get this product in, wait this long, 12 weeks to get your products in, and then just hand them out for free. Plus, when you're handing them out for free with BOGOs, it's like that completely devalues the brand. It's like a customer is not going to appreciate those products any that much anymore if they know they're getting one for free. Um, and how do we know this? Because we were in the yeah, same we situation. There, and we thought we used to be killing it with doing flash sales every single month. And then what happens when you're doing flash sales is you're training your customers for the sales. So when we used to be in that mode where we were doing once or even twice a month, um, then like I handled customer service, I would constantly every day I would probably get the same question, you know, when's the next sale, when's the next sale. So everyone was just waiting for the sale to buy. And to this day, the last, Ten or eleven months. I kid you not. I have not gotten one question where someone has said, "When is the next sale?" I never. I'm waiting for the next sale because people will buy our products at premium price because they know what they're getting, Um, and that's. And I've heard this before. I've heard some other people talk about this topic, and it's like just the truest thing. It's plus when you you're not running sales constantly, you can time up your inventory. You can forecast your inventory. Your numbers aren't getting messed up. It's like when you run a sale too, then you you might stock out of an item. So it's like, all right, well, I'm going to have to put these purchase orders in right now anyway, cause I oversold on some products. It's just, it kind of messes with the whole flow of your business.
1: If you, if you establish the presence and the mindset to your customers that you are a discount brand, well, you're a discount brand, your customers wait for those discounts they wait for those 25, 30, 35% off. Man, we've seen people do like 50% off. Yeah. And it's like, you know what? You're not making any money off that. You're covering costs of goods. You're not a profitable brand. You're just moving inventory to cover expenses. Maybe you have, like Preston said, some payroll that's due or a lease payment that's due or uh, invoices for uh, inventory that's due, marketing payments. I mean, there's a lot of overhead as your brand grows. But we told ourselves shortly after we scaled that, we are not going to be a discount brand because we did that. We used to do that. And now we do two sales a year. That is 4th of July and Black Friday. Because like Preston said, like when we would do those, our first big Black Friday, that just that wrecked us.
0: And another thing though, too, then if you're just going to be doing like a two sales a month or all these sales, a sale a week, it's like that screws up your workforce then and your labor. It's like, well, we don't have enough employees to handle that and stuff. And then when we don't do that sale, we have too many employees just sitting around with nothing to do. So it kind of just, like I said, disrupts the whole flow of your business and everything.
1: A sale, like when we do sales now, they're very they're highly projected. Yeah. So like it is planned with our logistics team of FedEx and USPS. It is planned with setting up additional packing stations, uh, making sure we have enough packing materials, uh, making sure employees, or we try to mitigate the fact that employees are overworked, but you know, sometimes the volume as we're growing still increases a lot. But what happens when you do like all these sales all the time, you become a discount brand is like Preston said, your inventory control gets all messed up. If I'm placing a PO production order with hopes and plans of getting that inventory in 12 weeks, but because I do this massive sale. Now I only have eight more weeks of product. That's four weeks that you're out. You don't want to be out of inventory. And we were in this situation before, and now it's pretty rare that we're out of inventory. Um, But, you know, as you you grow and scale continuously and you have these 12-week lead times, it's still kind of hard to project.
0: Yeah. And what's happened since we stopped doing flash sales? It's even just grown even more to the point now where our daily sales, one day of daily sales is more than we used to do in a flash sales day. I mean, what happened when we used to do a flash sale, we would do a flash sale, do a certain amount of numbers. And then the next four or five days after that sales would just dip like crazy. Cause everyone bought, um, during the sale.
1: And we have days now where an a-, a somewhat average day will be more than we did in an annual revenue yeah. in 2014. So it's, it's establishing your presence as a brand and branding is huge. Branding is not just huge as like someone sees your logo and that's what it means to them holding value. Branding is huge to a consumer is is this a discount brand? Is this a brand that I'm gonna wait for all these these flash sales and discounts? Or is this a brand that has really high quality stuff and I wanna buy it no matter what? Yeah. And that's who we wanna be. We wanna yeah, the brand we wanna be the brand that like people will say, even if they're trying to sale, I want this product because it's so superior to everyone else's.
0: Yeah no one ever brags about getting something for 30% off. No. That's really not yeah.
1: if if you want results and if you want a quality product, I mean it's it's going to cost. Mm-hmm. And you know, to to kind of respect your own brand, like to respect BPN, like we know what BPN is worth. And that's what we we charge appropriate prices for that. So that's kind of just a little story about how like growing almost like took us under. It almost destroyed us, and it was some of the scariest moments of like a business owners entrepreneur life is growing that that fast when you're self funded. Mm-hmm. And me and Preston both like, I mean, we were working tons. With and Joe, one of our employees was down here then too, but we were working so much um, just to try to like recover.
0: Yeah, and it slowly, slowly dug dug out of it, and kind of ever since have been like you know. And I don't want to say like in the safe zone, but like it was just took some digging out months and months of it to the point where we got out of it then.
1: Yeah, I'd say it was a solid month or not, not a month. It was a solid year, year and a half. Yeah. To really like plan effectively to dig out of that position and get things under control. Mm-hmm. So it was a wild time and probably something that I will always remember, like the hardships of of building a brand in a business, but it was fun. Like during the moments you're like, it's adrenaline high. Yeah. That's the best way to describe it. It's, it's adrenaline pumping through your body at all times
0: because you don't know what, like you don't know what's going to happen. You're kind of scared. Plus it's like the most exciting time when like the business starts growing and you've never like experienced that before. And it's like, you had it's just, you have all
1: this hope. I think 2017 has been my favorite year of, Business so far, um, like from a from an ideology of like being uh, fun, yeah. Because it was new, it was fresh. We were just getting like dipping our toes in the water of, of building the brand of the business and understanding how it works. Because up until that point, it was it was like a hobby. You know, we we were just trying to figure some things out. But 2017 was a lot of fun because we started getting connected in the industry and meeting more people and getting some bigger opportunities and seeing growth. And that's when we moved into our first warehouse and, uh, it was just different. So that wraps up this podcast and this episode. Uh, we hope you guys enjoyed it. And if you did like it, please feel free to leave a review, uh, for the bear performance podcast, the reviews and comments help us tremendously to grow and reach a larger audience with more exposure. So thanks guys. We appreciate it. And we'll see you in the next episode. We'll see ya.